0: This podcast. Um, today we'll be discussing transitions and employment. And shortly we'll be joined by uh, Professor Emeritus Trevor Parmenta. Uh, Trevor has a long history in the area of disability and employment, um, running some of the first employment trials back in the 70s, looking at transitioning and teaching work skills um, to um, people with disabilities. Uh, he has worked extensively globally, uh, written, researched, lectured, and mentored many of us that are working in the field of disability employment today. So this should be an interesting discussion as transition is, is despite the fact that we have a significant investment from government in these areas, as well as manpower, et cetera, over a long period of time. Uh, we're yet to see transition really reach, shall we say, the apex of practice and getting it right. I think we're a long way from that. And hopefully Trevor will join us in the next minute or so, and we can actually discuss this and see where it goes. Um, certainly, if you were, looked, saw yesterday, the National Disability Insurance Scheme released its funding guide for the next financial year. And you can see a significant improvement in the number of categories that support uh, employment for people with disabilities as well as transition to work. So. It's timely and I think this should be, should be a good discussion today. Hopefully Trevor isn't too far away. One of the marvels of using uh, live technology is that it sometimes works, it sometimes doesn't. Um, and well, I guess you've got to hope that everybody presses all the right buttons at the right time. So hopefully Trevor won't be too far away. I'm sure he's listening, probably yelling at, the, at me now going, stop talking, I'll be, I'll be here shortly. So. What is transition? It's an interesting process and looks like um, we're nearly there. Um, Transition is really quite a fascinating subject in that some people view it as something that happens at the end of school. Um, The reality is transition should start years before someone gets to the end of school. Ultimately, that's what school is about. It's about transitioning, preparing people for transition to, to work and a life after school. Um, And yet it's something that many people simply take for granted, think that it'll just happen. But if you happen to have a barrier to employment, certainly a barrier during your schooling, that may not be a successful outcome. You may not get to transition clearly or cleanly to employment. I mean, if most of us reflect on our transition from school to, shall we say, the big world where we all couldn't wait to get out there, most of us anyway, what was transition like for you? did school really prepare you for transition or was it something you thought about for years was it something that your parents literally made you focus on but did you have any barriers did you have any enablers what supported that successful transition for you did you transition into a career the one you might have now or did you simply transition into whatever you could find so you could get the hell out of school um, the journey is not the same for everybody. It's certainly not a linear process. And for many of us, we could probably say that we did work experience for 30 or 40 years before we found what we wanted to do. Um, it's certainly an certainly interesting journey for, for many people. And hopefully um, the technology will also work <laughs> and Trevor will join us shortly. So that's where we're going today. We're going to discuss transition. This is um, this podcast is one of a series of podcasts uh, that we're doing live with people uh, with, in the field of disability and employment, where we discuss different aspects of employment. And essentially, we're trying to provide you with information and guidance and something to think about. So hopefully, Trevor, you're not too far away. Um, it's always good when you're going live, you're waiting for something to happen. And um often you think oh am I here by myself? Um, fortunately I have some some people here today uh, online as well listening and watching uh, also waiting for us to happen so hopefully not too far away. I'll have to keep talking to fill up the blank space <laughs> otherwise we end up with lots of empty air so something to ponder. Um, Certainly transition, we're midway through the year now. Um, For many people, they're starting to think about what does the end of the year look like? Where do I transition to? Am I transitioning to to employment? Am I transitioning to more study? Am I transitioning into a break from everything that's been normal or what has been your norm for the last X number of years in the school system? So we'll see what happens shortly. Trevor, and Trevor's ringing me. Um, Let me take a quick break. Yes. Yes, we are. I sent you the link. Yep. Yep. Just follow this. uh, Sign this. No, it's already started. I'll send you another link. I have no idea. I'll send you another link. Just hang on a quick and I'll send you another link. Okay, technology's got the better of us. Um I've just got to send Trevor another link. I shall invite him in. If I just press paste, I'm sure I'll have another. There it is. And I've just sent another Trevor, another link. Um, Hopefully I shall just, this is the fun of technology. Won't be a few far away folks. And we'll have Trevor on board Right, another link has been sent. I just sent you another link. Got to love technology. Hopefully, not too far away now. And one of the joys of this pro, of this live podcast that we've just discovered is that if you send someone the link before we start the program, it tends not to actually give them a live link. Um, but we'll see what happens in the next few seconds. So it is all about transition this morning, uh, followed by gaps in technology, which the technology raises an interesting point, doesn't it? Um, if we're transitioning to the wider world and the wider world is a tech world these days, um, if the tech doesn't work, where does that leave us? You, know, you can find today that um, in the current situation, we find ourselves in where the where the COVID situation has left many of us at home it's thrown the idea of transition out the window, um, certainly it, it it makes the journey somewhat more difficult somewhat more problematic as we try to work out how do I finish school, how do I transition to employment uh, when. Maybe those opportunities to move around are not there possibly lesser employment opportunities, so where do we go from here. Uh, hopefully. The tech will get the better of us in the next few seconds, and Trevor will be able to join us. It's a fascinating exercise getting the tech moving, hopefully, without too much more to do. So, if you think what we're doing now technically is an accommodation, we're using podcasting technology to reach out to people, to reach out to a variety of people um, to actually talk about transition and so this technology in itself becomes part of that transition process. So we still hopefully, yes, the tech has worked and Trevor is, is joining us and I can press the connect button and Trevor, I think you should be live.
1: Good morning peter
0: morning the marvels of technology <laughs>
1: yes we've uh we've survived, we've survived. so far
0: so uh, they've been listening to me waffle on for a couple of minutes about transition and technology in the current situation um so i guess it brings us to the topic at hand uh, and we should probably get to it after i've up the airwaves for nine minutes
1: <laughs> that's all right that's all right
0: yes the notion of transition and today it possibly looks a little different because of the situation we find ourselves in, but you have a long history in this this field. What have you observed in recent times that maybe says we're heading in the right direction versus maybe you're looking at it and going, have we really progressed?
1: I still think the direction's right. Um, I mean, the basic direction is we, we want to get young people with uh, different disabilities um, into a satisfying life. And part of that satisfying life uh, is to have a job uh, and have some control over their future, which is the, basically the uh, the mechanism that having a job does. It, it uh, opens doors. Uh, it's not, I, I I keep emphasizing, a job is not an end in itself. Uh, for some of us, I guess, we, you know, we're married to our job. Um, but many people aren't. Uh, many people see a, a job as a way of uh, increasing their standard of living and letting them do things, buy things, enjoy things um, that they might value even more than the job itself. But the basic fact is if you don't have a job and you don't have a steady income, um, you can't purchase things to um, embellish your life. So, um, And that principle, I think, is is timeless. Um, it's how we bring it about that is the problem. Um, and uh, I'm, I, I do feel at times, to come back to your point, that uh, given my fairly long experience, of some decades uh, working in this area and working on transition in particular, that we haven't moved all that far. In fact, in, in some ways, I, I think we've almost gone a little bit backwards uh, right. and and it, the problems seem to be systemic it's 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 not a matter of the will uh, or, or the get up and go as it were that, that all of us have it's it's just the process the intricate processes that just seem to block good outcomes
0: Now you you just raised two interesting points there in one you talked about a job that allows people to pursue the things they want. And the job is, in a sense, just a vehicle to that. And you also raise the observation around the idea of a career. So we have two different things happening there. And, and I wonder if maybe when I think about it, that reflectively, maybe that's part of the problem with the system, is that in one sense it's focused on a job, but it's not necessarily focused on a career. So maybe you have a cohort of people that are looking to transition to something greater than just an income source. I wonder if that confuses the water a little bit.
1: It, it Well, it, it does in practice, because um, if we look at the outcomes for many people with disabilities when they get a job, at the end of the transition process, uh, it, and I must reiterate, uh, transition is is a is a more global term. Uh, I prefer to look at transition as a number of transitions through one's life, uh, and of course, the transition from school to post school is is an important one. But there are there are others. But coming back to the point about career and and a job, um, so many people with disabilities get into a dead end job, um, and we sit back and. Um, feel quite satisfied that, you know, for them, uh, we've we've achieved the goal, we've got them into a job, even though it might be one hour a week, which is the sort of ILO definition of in, being employed. Um, and some of those those jobs just pr- don't provide satisfaction, certainly don't provide a, a step forward that many of us in life have enjoyed. So... Uh, I, I, yeah, I like the term career,
0: um,
1: and, and having a job is part of it.
0: And, and maybe this idea that, that we've transitioned people to a job, which potentially goes nowhere because it meets the, the compliance or the statistical definitions of employment, maybe that's part of the reason why we haven't been able to improve outcomes and why significant numbers of people that transition to a job ultimately fall out of the system. Um, I've seen statistics that suggest as many as 40% of the people that transition from school into an employment service through uh, that have a disability ultimately fall out of the job and don't reappear in the system. And and we have this large cohort then that are sitting out there that we're not addressing, that we're not aware of. That's simply because maybe we've transitioned them to a job and that's all the system wanted or needed to do to to meet its requirements. But in actual fact, what we should have been doing is going deeper and looking at where's the career path for this person. Because, you know, as we all know, and, and a lot of people such as yourself and Carrie Griffin are constantly ground into me, is that the first job is just the first job. Where's it going to take you?
1: True. If I come back to a more um, philosophical base, which I think we're missing uh, in the whole uh, process and I want to take us back to uh, the early 1980s when there were some significant changes happening in the general disability field we were moving out of uh, for some s- s- small numbers who were in institutions and breaking down those institutions seemed to be the the driver but it wasn't the only driver because despite the fact that we had some literally thousands of people in institution living, uh, the majority as of now are still living at home or living in um, other accommodation a little more independently from their families. Um, And it brings me to the Handicapped Persons Review, which Senator Don Grimes initiated and published in 1985 which gave the basis for the 1986 Disability Services Act. And we talked in those years a lot about underlying philosophies. You know, where, what is the place of people with disabilities in the world? Um, and we did start talking to them themselves to get some ideas as how they felt. And I think we've lost that to a large degree, even though people with disabilities in many ways are more vocal uh, speaking out more, being more assertive, uh, being good self-advocates. At, at the departmental level, and I'll talk about the department in terms of government departments, I don't think the people who are making decisions on the ground, but that affect us on the ground, really are coming from a philosophical basis. They just do not understand what the TUNE report on the... NDIS, the recent report that was looking at that, uh, June pointed out that there seemed to be from his uh, discussions with different players that the people administering disability programs had no idea of the lived experiences of people uh, who were either born with a disability or acquired it. And I think we've got to go back to that position and then see how the providers of services and the funders of services come together with a a central goal or central philosophical base. And I think Don Grimes did that in 1985 and 86. One could say the Productivity Commission in its report on disability, which led to the formation of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, One could say that gave us a base. I don't believe it did. By definition, it was the Productivity Commission, which is an economic-based entity. Uh, And even one of the arguments um, that the Productivity Commission report put forward was, we get people with disabilities into jobs, they'll start paying taxes, and they'll move off social welfare and this will be good for the economic health of the country. True, true. That was a great statement in a sense from a government perspective, from a taxpayer's perspective. But I wonder if it, if they did really capture, the commissioners, if they did really capture the underlying, underlying thoughts and feelings of people with disabilities themselves. And I think we've got to go back to that it's interesting, uh, at the same time of that, that era, the, the Schools Commission, the Schools Commission, which it was a national body, again, it uh, was um, brought into being by the then government, which was fairly progressive. And the Schools Commission set up an inquiry into transition. And it's called... A strategy for disabled youth in transition. And it was spurred on by the OECD Centre for Educational Research and Innovation. So it's interesting that the driver of the transition process in those years was the Schools Commission. And one of my, I'll just make this last statement and come back to you, Peter. And one of my feelings at the moment is that education across the country, and we, we understand that we've got so many complex education systems. We have the government, non government, independent schools, and then we have um, six states and two territories, all of whom run schools. But I believe that's the core problem at the moment that education has lost the plot initially in transition
0: right it, w- when you when I listen to all that it it paints a confusing picture it makes me wonder how anybody can transition from school to anything when you consider that that at every level it seems to be potentially pulling in different policy or philosophical levels without any consistent framework I mean if you look at transition to to work programs there are there are many of them, and in, in, you know, we have today um, this process where there are, I think from memory, two or three different service systems trialling transition to work programs within the school system, which suggests that the systems themselves are competing against each other rather than producing a, a cohesive approach that makes it easier for someone to actually undertake a transition from school to shall we say, the wider world.
1: Well, you're right. You're right. I mean, it it involves a curriculum, a curriculum planning. Uh, it involves teacher training. Um, uh, I'm doing a small piece of work at the moment with an agency that uh, is doing some reasonably good work with SLES, that uh, school leaver program that uh, works under the umbrella of NDIS, one which you uh, and your colleagues have... Uh, uh, have done a report on as well. Um, and I find a mixed bag. Uh, I find some of the school systems uh, are doing a fantastic job in linking in with the young person, say, around year nine or even a bit earlier, and helping the school system that that, that student is in to start planning what... to we did in the in the late 1980s with a big project and big national project that Vivian Ritchies and, and I were involved in together with other, other people, where we, we we did have a system where there was a, a a planning, an individual transition plan being developed in most of the schools that we worked in from year nine onwards. And we also linked in As that planning got closer to the uh, the student's final years, um, people sat in that plan were families, uh, service providers, uh, disability service providers, support organizations, um, some government representatives and that, that small committee met at a school level and helped the school develop its transition policy
0: now, see, that's, that's interesting to me in, in that it, it parallels the same process that they went through in the States where, where Lou Brown took the notion of the, the employment plans, the individual education plans, and, and turned that into a vocational skills process, which gave us the discovery process eventually. But it illustrates that this process needs to start earlier in the school system rather than being a last 12-month thing where competing service delivery models turn up at the school system and go, hey, let's see who wants to be one of our clients. This process starts too late.
1: Indeed, indeed. That's that's one of the weaknesses I'm picking up in this, this more recent work, which does make me feel that I'm reinventing the wheel because I'm seeing the same problems that existed 30-plus years ago. Um, probably more than 30 plus, nearly 40 plus years ago. Hang you're making Well, I can even go back much further. I mean, the, the, the thing which got me involved in transition was when I was a school principal uh, of a special school. And I saw most of my students ending up in a sheltered workshop. 40% of them went into a sheltered workshop. They all went into the same sheltered workshop. And... Um, I scratched my head and said, this just did not seem to be right. Admittedly, I didn't have a background in the uh, work that I was doing. It's interesting, uh, in those years, you sort of were plucked out of the air and sent, or well, he'd be a good man. He could become a principal of a special school for people with intellectual disabilities. I had been a good teacher, so I guess that was the, the main criteria that I was chosen on.
0: Hang on, isn't that what you did but, to me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, I, but I struck. You know, I struck this barrier, and uh, so uh, we got together and uh, with with families and uh, and the Department of Education, actually, one of the senior inspectors, and we started work experience. That was 1971. Now, as I look at the project I'm evaluating at the moment, uh, some schools have that opportunity or will give that opportunity. Some don't of course, another systemic issue that we, and again comes back to education, is that we have, uh, over the years, transitioned many young people out of those special schools into the mainstream. Now, again, it's a laudable practice. We don't want segregation as far as possible. But a bit like when we broke down the big institutions and sent people into group homes, we didn't have a plan to make that inclusive education work. Um, many students were what one of my former colleagues called main dumping. Uh, in other words, you pop a student with a disability back into a regular school class without a lot of support or, or, or a good sound basis of support, and I, I, I don't mean just having a teacher aide who might help them with their reading and writing, uh, I mean someone who goes to bat for them in that large school system. And again, I, I, I want to emphasize that we've got to start at the education level if we want to have a, 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 what I would call a renaissance in transition from school to post-school activities.
0: Now, you raised an interesting point where you talked about kids and um, way back in the 70s were transitioning from school into sheltered workshops as they were back then. And, of course, the the current progeny, the Australian Disability Enterprises. But if you look at the current set of circumstances we're in with the COVID crisis where we're seeing significant numbers of providers under under a lot of financial pressure uh, have realised they have to change their model. So we're going to come out of this process with less, shall we say, uh, disability enterprises um, and potentially a different model of disability enterprise that, that will create a whole new range of, of issues for people, particularly people that were that transitioned from school to ADEs um, to do what you know, was tri- the work they traditionally did, which was essentially work with a social aspect. Where do we go now if those opportunities are not there? If we have, we don't have the right system in place. If there are now less opportunities for a transition to something that provides an opportunity to learn skills that allow someone to pursue employment.
1: Well, it comes back to another uh, point that I, I want to uh, emphasise, and that is the whole concept of lifelong learning. Um, and I don't want to. Put that in the context of you know of the, uh, the University of the Third Age, uh, I'm talking about lifelong learning at the very young post-school level. Uh, most of the ADEs would be supporting people with some form of cognitive difficulty. Uh, there are some that do cater for people with other sensory or physical disabilities, but the large majority of the 20,000 people who were supported in those facilities, um, would have a cognitive or a developmental problem. Developmental in the in the psychological sense. I think one of the barriers that and what and again it comes back to educational psychology. A young person at eighteen with a cognitive, a lifelong cognitive uh, disability or impairment is still developing, just like you and I were developing at age 18 despite the fact that I was running a school at age 18, um, but I was still developing cognitively. Um, people with cognitive, inborn cognitive problems do keep developing. And the concept that at, at age 18 they can go into a job immediately is, is plain crazy, particularly the types of jobs we have now – in the earlier years, you could go into manufacturing, um, into factory-type work, where there weren't a lot of demands on on your social competence. But what are the main jobs that we are putting people with disabilities into now? They are much more service-oriented, and they're much more complex. They have to interact with people. They have to have appropriate social relationships. And so the world is much more complex for those young people at present. But they're still in their stages of cognitive development. So I'd like to see, I think this is an idea that you might be fostering too, Peter. I'd like to see the ADE system, which just cannot be destroyed overnight. And and we dare not let it disappear in the sense that all these young people who were formerly in it will end up back at home doing nothing. But I think we need to transform them into some form of ongoing educational facility.
0: There's, there's some very good, you know, we're starting to see uh, ADE shift go in a in a, a different direction as creating commercial enterprises that provide the lifelong career development uh, models um, like Bright, who and Interlife and Wallara, who who to name a few that functioning as commercial entities that provide career development and career pathways uh, in, an, in a, shall we say, a more supportive environment. And and I think that's, for me, that's a very good progress. To me, that suggests yeah. progress and is a really interesting model. And the other side of that, of course, is that is that we're starting to see some of the, these organisations that are establishing commercial operations and then are going down the pathway of establishing commercial relationships with with large organisations and working with them to change their policies and practices and put in place support mechanisms so that they can provide career pathways into other organisations and then they almost act as, as, as a support organisation for a larger organisation and then provides more potential candidates to those organisations. So we're starting to see some changes but there's also a significant number of, of organisations that that are not and given where we are in the, the current global situation financially i wonder about the future of those organisations that simply believe they can continue as they are
1: well they probably won't and and i and i'm um, a little concerned about some of the the ones that Simply the ones you've mentioned that have got some very creative, innovative ideas. I wonder what's going to happen when, we, when the people they're supporting start competing with the thousands of unemployed young people uh, that's going to uh, be the product of this uh, pandemic. Uh, I really fear for um, what we might call this small but significant population of people with disabilities. It could be further marginalised as we have a larger proportion competing for the same piece of the action um, that we're trying to build for people with disabilities. It, 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 you know, I shudder to think about some of the uh, outcomes in the next 12 to, f- well, not just 12 months, the next five years. I, I just, it's, it's intriguing because... I mean, um,
0: it, it certainly suggests that what we're going to need going forward is a new model of disability employment and certainly a new model of transition when you consider that that potentially there'll be half as many small businesses available uh, to provide employment opportunities. At the same time, there's probably twice as many people competing. So, you know, you really, I mean, from my perspective, I don't believe transition to employment, the, the way it has been done, can continue. Well, just to give you a
1: practical example, um, when uh, Qantas had to uh, stand down uh, a large, almost all of their uh, workforce, Um, Woolworths and Coles offered them jobs. Um, I wonder how many uh, uh, how many people with disabilities uh, would be displaced, or how many future ones would still be competing um, with people who are far more skilled also willing to uh, um, to work uh, in, in a retail situation. Um, I'm not suggesting that the pilots would end up working in a retail situation, but some of the other staff who may not go back to the big airlines. So, so here's a, a small practical example, and I mentioned Woolworths and Coles because many of those, those uh, shops do employ people with disabilities.
0: It's it's interesting you mention that because a few years ago Woolworths uh, went through a process where they started to replace all their older workers with with young kids, um, which was fascinating because within about six months of them starting that it, it created a bit of a backlash, uh, and they had to change that policy. So it's that in a funny way suggests that the way to actually change the attitudes of the larger organisations is to change the community's philosophy and beliefs.
1: Well, that's another issue that uh, we're still grappling with. I think there is still discrimination um, towards certain groups of people with disabilities um, that that's, it hasn't really been resolved. Uh, and that's an ongoing, it's going to be an ongoing fight um, you know, through the next millennium because uh, people who are different, you just look at the, the race riots that are happening at the moment, uh, not just in other countries, but on our own doorstep and in our, in our Indigenous population. Um, I just wrote a letter to uh, my local member about the, um, the, the New South Wales government uh, ceasing um, a, a very valuable program that was keeping people with intellectual disabilities out of uh, the corrective services system. And that funding is going to cease because the... Uh, government feels it hasn't been cost effective yeah, so, it, tri- it's, uh, so it's so we still- were still in broil in in that sort of thing which you know was we thought we'd solved
0: we're still treating people as economic units uh, so let, let me sort of push you a little bit further on this if if you had the opportunity to change the system and the government said okay what does the system that look like that we need what would it look like
1: Well, I'd go back where I started. I I would start with the education system and just see how, because what we're doing is we're challenging what's the outcomes of schools generally. I mean, not just kids with disabilities, but the whole school system. What are we doing? I would basically claim that the school systems that I know, particularly at the secondary level, are still geared heavily towards kids who want to go to university or who think they want to go to university. We've seen this tremendous increase of those that move into universities, which again, because they're economic units for the universities, as were the foreign students who are now not coming uh, to help the universities pay their bills. And so I would be questioning the whole concept of, what are we educating young people for? Um, And I think it's interesting. We go back even more decades. Many kids, many regular kids left school at the end of year nine. And then, of course, because jobs were available for young people in um, many, many young girls became seamstresses, um, typists, secretarial work. Uh, Many of the boys went into trades. That was the picture when I was a kid in the 1940s. Um, then we decided that, no, we should give every child the opportunity to have 12 years of schooling, not just um, nine. Um, and, but the school system didn't, in the curriculum sense, it didn't cater for kids who did not want to go into um, a highly theoretical future.
0: So and I think that's,
1: that's where we've got to start looking at what's the out what what are the outcomes for schools generally, and then where then we ask the question, now where do people with disabilities fit into that?
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's a really interesting example because it's I'm just sort of re, kind of reflect here a little bit, and you may this may be interesting for you as well. My grandmother um, from Maclean in Northern New South Wales um, before. Uh, she left what effectively was when in the leaving certificate, which was what year 10 or something. Um,
1: Uh, That was, that would have been year, under the current system, that was year 11.
0: Right. Well, I mean, way back when she was, um, um, you know, and obviously she predates you as well. um, She went to teachers college because in those days you could come to Sydney, to Sydney teachers college. And if you were going to teach in a, Um, a country school, you didn't have to finish high school. You could get a one-year teaching qualification and go back and teach in a country school. But if you wanted to teach um, in a metropolitan school, you had to go to and do a two-year degree and ultimately a university degree to do that. So it's fascinating that, that what effectively is, I guess, 70, 80 years ago, we actually had pathways for people to actually go into something without finishing high school. But today, of course, as you've just alluded to, everything is geared towards you must finish high school uh, and then you must go to university. And and we seem to have lost sight of the fact that significant numbers of people don't need to go to university, don't want to go to university. So a transition system seems to have forgotten what effectively is the normal pathway.
1: Well, if I go back to... Um the 80s, and, and that OECD project that, where I was on the steering committee, um, and I was looking at the people who uh, who attended the uh, a national forum that we held, at lead, which led to the, a national report. We had a significant number of, uh, of participants at that workshop uh, from TAFE, and... Um, and uh, I can just see one name here, is Jenny Lyons, who I used to work with in New South Wales TAFE. And there she is, Jenny Lyons, which is the Director of Special Programs, New South Wales Department of TAFE. Well, TAFE has been gutted in most states and territories. Um, I would, And the Prime Minister currently is is, is uh, trumpeting that he wants to see uh, Voked uh, resuscitate it's interesting for our political masters to suddenly have this uh, rush to the brain of, uh, of something they think is new when they forget that they are in fact responsible for the
0: well, Trevor. For, everything for the everything else is new again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. But let's let's put the politics aside. Let's hope that there will be some resurgence. Um, and I know it's it, 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 the government is actually panicking because they will have to do something to get the unemployed back into work. So they've got to work on creating jobs. They've also got to work on creating people who can do the jobs because the jobs of next year and the year after are going to be far more complex and different from the jobs yeah, now. And that's why I think...
0: That, um, yeah. that we looked at uh, a number of years ago we reviewed this last program where we suggested to the government that... That is part of the process. They need to start have a transition pathway for kids from from the age of fifteen, not from the age of eighteen. But you need to run parallel pathways so kids can start transitioning at, at fifteen, if not earlier, for those that that don't need to go any further, because it, it begs the question, why does everybody have to go to year twelve to finish high school to pursue some type of career when the, the truth of the matter is that vocational education doesn't require you to finish year twelve.
1: True, and and, and of course many kids get so bored. I mean, m- many of the kids uh, uh, with disabilities are dropping out anyhow before year twelve, um, and of course that, in, in many ways, dropping out I think is is disappointing, um, in that they they they. They tend not to have any support after that. Um, many of them don't have parents who are able to give the support that that young person has, and so they tend to drift. So I'm suggesting that they should have the right to go through to year 12, but those latter years need to be changed in terms of what they're doing. Um and that's where the curriculum is often inflexible. But we did have a, a good pathway where many of those young people in Year Ten could move into part-time TAFE, and it still be part of their school work. That, that was very innovative. I worked with a special school. Um, out in the western part of the western area of Sydney on that very project. We even had some people coming, some of the older kids from the regular high school next door would come and sit in on some of their um, uh, their latter transition work, transition in that year 10, 11, 12. Um, but again, we don't have a universal system that allows for that. We have pockets of good practice organizations, if I could talk the politicians into having what we did in the 80s and having another inquiry about transition, and the title again, A Strategy for Disabled Youth in Transition, that would be my next step. If I had the power and I had enough up and go, um, uh, I'd be pushing for that to really have an exploration of what is the current scene, what what are the forces that are Happening uh, in, in the next five, ten years in the employment scene yeah, in the social scene
0: it's interesting now that, I know that it, that it, it, it does, resemb- about- does
1: resemble the concept of a talk fest um, you know we, we if, you, if you have a problem the best way to get rid of it is to form a committee um, uh, and then <laughs> okay. the committee brings down a report which everyone ignores um, but at least what we did in the, in the 80s with this report, it did have some effect in several states. The tragedy was that, that the people in the education system lost sight of it, and that it was basically left to people in the social service systems to pick it up. But they were picking it up too late because the kids were almost leaving school or I had left that- school
0: maybe a good starting point might be to actually, before we go forward, is to look at what we've done uh, so that we don't end up repeating it again, uh, which seems to be what we're doing. We're perpetually repeating every decade what happened before. Um, It's almost as though that knowledge is is being ignored.
1: Maybe the the major body, maybe we should... uh be urging the uh, National Disability Services to uh, give some leadership in this. I don't know. We'd have to... I I don't think it'll come from within government, which this other exercise did. Uh, But we certainly need... We need a a close look at this. Otherwise, we're we're going to continue with Band-Aids. And we're still going to ignore the research. Uh, The research that happened back 30, 40 years ago, plus the research that's happening today well,
0: I, I think um, we're already doing that. I mean, we're already ignoring research. There's, I was looking at a bunch of projects that are happening with um, one of our big five universities that, that they're doing, and all they're doing is replicating stuff that's been done every decade all over the world. I mean, that's not learning. That's just filling in time.
1: Because the problems have not gone away, and that's why we're, people, we're still finding people writing articles on transition and they're coming up with the same recommendations that we came up with 30, 40 years ago because we haven't moved forward in a systemic way. And, and um, I mean, I, I, you're probably more aware of the current system in the USA. But one thing that I always valued the the United States for was that they they put some legislative grunt behind some of the mandates, you go back to the uh, the, uh, the emergence of the individual education plan. That came out of the Handicapped Persons Review, Law 94.142. I'll never forget that number because that was the, the law that said that every American child had the right to education. Then that led to a series of, and people like Lou Brown you mentioned, the researchers that, that in those era in that era uh, had plans, and that led to the individual education plans. Then, the United States government, um, in the era of Tom Bellamy and Madeline Will, um, they introduced the concept of transition, and it was legislated for. And that it was legislated for not just students with disabilities; it was legislated for the whole the whole system. Now, one thing about the United States, uh, having praised them for that, it it does then tend to bog down in the application and it tends to bog down in numerous processes that almost suffocate the system. And that's one of the downsides of a legalistic framework, that it sometimes can become over-legalized. I remember going to a conference in San Francisco in 1979, um, a conference of about 10,000 teachers, school counsellors and uh, anyone interested in ed- education of children with uh, disabilities. And uh, every school had to produce quadruplicate copies of every child's individual education plan. And those quadruplicate copies went to different people who then had to assess it and tick it off. And it just, it, it almost died under the, uh, the enormous bureaucracy that was established.
0: Wow, that, that's um, quite extraordinary.
1: Um, <laughs> and and, and the teachers were just getting so frustrated. So a good idea uh, with a good legislative backing um, to produce better outcomes um, was almost, as I said, suffocated by the... Um, administrative processes were put in place to make sure everyone was doing their job properly. Right. Um, and we, and you, you, you're closer to the, uh, the government systems here. You might, you know, agencies are, well, I do know, the ones I'm associated with, agencies are, 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 are also suffocating under regulatory things, much as we need good regulation and good compliance, <clears throat> but governments can uh, make it impossible. You recall when um, the employment system was transferred from FACS into DES? Yes. And, and and the manuals that were produced that agencies had to complete, uh, it was enormous.
0: Yeah, I was given was one to read on my first day. Yes. Um, Scratch my head and I went, hey, seriously, people read this? Um, it, it was an encyclopedia. It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So,
0: well, the truth This has been fascinating, um, terrifying at the same time, um, because I think we're still repeating some of the mistakes of the past. But I guess the exercise now will be to try and, I guess, shake government, um, shake the system so that we actually have a a simple, um, shall we say, non-competitive in the sense that the systems aren't competing against each other for clients, so that we do actually have a simple client-driven system that facilitates transitions at different stages that the individual wants rather than what the system prescribes?
1: Well, I guess uh, I was involved in something coming back to one of my suggestions earlier. Um, one of my most recent projects was this transition at the at the level of ageing for people with disabilities, particularly those with cognitive uh, developmental disabilities. Um, And we conducted a national uh, meeting in Canberra, the press club, and we had representatives from um, disability organisations and we had representatives from aged care organisations. And uh, we have come up with a a set of recommendations as to how we could Mm. assist people who are ageing with a disability be continue to be supported um, right through their life not just having to drop off the disability support system when they turn sixty-five, which is the current system. So that's another transition issue I've been involved in. Um, but we had that national summit. Um, sadly, it uh, we we didn't have the resources to follow it up. We we sh- we had planned to have have uh, subcommittees and have a smaller group to draft some some government. Um, um, recommend, recommendations for government, and, and I would dearly like to see a similar exercise happen for um, transition from school to work. And, th- and I don't like the term transition from school to work. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather see it as um, as this this report in eighty five said a strategy for disabled youth in transition. And that leaves it open for, for the, this broader concept that we started the discussion, this broader concept of every one of us in, in the Australian society deserves a career.
0: Yeah, a, a lifelong transition.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And so this, you know, the concept of transition to work just, I think, is it, it's, it's, it, it, it's too specific. It doesn't capture what the real goal is. And the real goal, and you know my passion for quality of life, mm. the real goal, the real outcome for all of our work in the disability field should be the enhancement of the quality of life of every person born or acquiring a disability, including their families. Right. Which which Including their lead, families.
0: Which leads us to, to suggest that maybe the focus should be on on giving individuals the capacity to self-determine and design their own career and pursue their career. Um, whatever that. And might, then we come back
1: that. to the you know and, and we have we have come forward so many ways with some new philosophies like self-determination., Hello, hang on a bit. Nire wrote about self-determination in 1972, I think. Yeah, come on. <laughs> when he worked with, uh, and uh, it, it, it wasn't something that Mike waymeyer has just discovered. No, um,
0: no it goes back to what I said, everything <laughs> old is new again. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, and the concept of person-centred planning, and, and, and we, we, we do have some very, very good advanced practices uh, today compared to uh, earlier years. So we have moved on. So I want to leave... leave this discussion in a more positive light um, and, and the, the most positive view I have is that we have given voice to many people with disabilities where they did not have a voice and I hope that that will become the the, the, the key to the future. If we can give them a greater voice and have them sit at the same table uh, and express their views and thoughts, Um despite the fact that they may need ongoing support, none of us will ever become fully independent in our lives. And some like me will have to learn that we're becoming more dependent as we get older. Um, That I think that I think we've come a good way, but boy, oh boy, we do have some challenges ahead.
0: We do indeed. And Trevor, I'm going to even use my special effects and thank you very much. And I've got a button that says clap and here's a, Tin clap. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> technology. Uh, you're very, you're very up to date, Peter. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, thanks, Peter, for the opportunity
1: to, to, for me to waffle on. Um, as you well know, I can, uh, uh, I can talk underwater.
0: And you have taught me that as well.
1: <laughs> Good. Thank well, you thanks. for so the much opportunity again. Very Good.
0: Much appreciated. Good. Thank you, Trevor. Bye now. Bye. 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 And that was Meris Professor Trevor Parmenta sharing his thoughts on transition. There's a lot in there for us to take in, a lot of us to learn. And you know what? Maybe we should stop, start thinking <coughs> about not repeating what we've already done. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy.